Praise the Lord. We welcome you to our live broadcast today, Sunday, July 3, 2021. We apologize for being a couple of minutes late. Shall we pray? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dear God, we thank you for today, for the opportunity to be in your presence, for all the people who have gathered wherever they are in any part of the world. We pray, Lord, that as they watch or listen to the podcast, Lord, Father, you will draw them closer to you, those who are your children, and those who have not yet known your son's name, Lord, and made that commitment to serving. We pray, Lord, that through this broadcast, you draw them close to you, that will repent and become your children. All the praise and glory and honor belong to you for this day. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Praise the Lord. Our instrumental is taken from Barakale Brasi today, and the title of our song is Great is Thy Faithfulness. Today's topic is compassion. I know we have been on our series. Actions have consequences. But we're interrupting it today to put this in between as we continue next Sunday. And today's topic is compassion. The outline, compassion, good seeds and weeds. Three, good seeds are about God's mission, while weeds love the world. And the song is great is thy faithfulness. Compassion, number one. The definition of compassion is on the board. It's a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. See, compassion is not about you. It's about you and I having been distressed by other people's sufferings, having a concern and doing something about it. I took this from Merriam-Webster Dictionary, Online Dictionary. Compassion is at the heart of God's mission to save as many human beings from the clutches of Satan and his evil kingdom. Let us know that Jesus Christ as God knows the past, the present, and the future. And as God, he sees all moments in time and outside of time. He knows the ending of the world just as he knows the beginning of it. Though the scriptures recorded that our Lord and Savior wept twice, there is no doubt that he wept so many other times for fallen humanity throughout his earthly search. And there's no doubt he still weeps for a dying world. Because at the heart of God is love. And that love is not love for self, but love for others. And it brings great compassion. That's why he sent his son from heaven to die for you and I. Compassion. Just as the Lord Jesus can see and hear the songs of the morning stars and the shouts of the joy by the angels, 
when the foundations of the earth were laid. He also sees the end of the age when many human beings will end up in the lake of fire. One that God never intended for human beings but for fallen angels. The Lord Jesus can see Eden even while on earth. The garden of God, the blissful world of Adam and Eve and the tree of life that God had planted. He can see what could have become of humanity. Had the first human beings eaten from the tree of life and not from the forbidden fruit. How human beings would have lived forever in the unfallen state. He can see the joy on the faces of the billions who will be prevailed as they march into glory and eternal life because of the horrible death he was about to embrace on the cross. Equally, he can see also the horror, while on earth, on the faces of those condemned forever as they are cast into the lake of fire because they rejected his sacrifice. He sees all things. Therefore, throughout his sojourn on earth, all these images of good, great things, bad things were ever present. And that's why on two occasions he allowed us to see it. Two times we saw him recorded in the scriptures where he allowed his compassion to be seen. Number one, he wept over Jerusalem during his triumphant entry into that city. Number two, he wept on the way to the grave where Lazarus was buried. Scripture, please. I read from Luke chapter 19, verses 41 to 46. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Praise the Lord! The Lord Jesus Christ, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, the same way as he approaches many church gatherings today, he wept. Why? In verse 46, it's written, My house will be a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of robbers. Isn't it a den of robbers? Many of your leaders have turned God's place of worship into den of robbers. Well, they talk about his money every Sunday. Every time his money, God is ever glorified. The same way God is weeping today. His son is weeping. And the Holy Spirit has left the buildings because of the sins of your leaders. And you continue to do what? To enable them. What a contrast. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is weeping. We are now going back to Jerusalem on that day he was about to enter Jerusalem. How 
and saw how his chosen people have turned the temple of God into commerce. Israel was a chosen nation. One God had hoped would bear good fruit and make all the other nations of the world embrace him and obey his commands. The same way he established the church to make you and I to be what others we see to accept Christ as Lord and Savior and glorify Father in heaven. We have turned it into commerce. So God is weeping because I is at the right hand of the Father. Christ is weeping today for his church. The compassion as many have been led away, led astray by men and women claiming to be speaking in his name but are not really from him. Jesus went for the people and the city then, as he's weeping today. For all where gatherings today are in his name, but are not of his name. Because he saw what will befall them because of disobedience. How many places are churches not disobedient everywhere in the world? The church has got commingled with things in the world. You can't differentiate church and state anymore. It's all intertwined together. God is weeping today because he knows what's going to befall the world. But let's go back to Jerusalem. He saw what was going to happen. Today, it was one temple in Jerusalem. In the world today, so many temples, billions of those who are calling on his name. But how many are really faithful? How many are not in disobedience and causing so many other people to sin against God? So let us be careful. But God has great compassion. Why did God weep for Jerusalem? A physical place. If he could, think about how he's weeping for you and I. Who are not living up to the standards he has called us to. He wept knowing what lay in store for Israel and Jerusalem. These are some of the images he knew would befall the Israelites and their nation as he wept over Jerusalem. He saw a besieged city in 70 AD. That is something years after his ascension into the heavens. He could see it. That does his weeping over Jerusalem. He saw the sufferings of the Jews during the siege, the killing of the Jews by Roman soldiers, the destruction, the rape of the temple and Jerusalem, the flight of so many others into foreign lands, and the persecutions that have inflicted on the world against the Jewish people all over the world from that time, 70 AD, to even now. Many still hate the Jews around the world today. It's all going back to that desecration of the temple. Second reason, he wept over Jerusalem. He wept because Jerusalem represents the larger world. The brutality of human beings against each other. Man seeing humanity to man. Woman seeing humanity to woman. He saw the walls that will come to reclaim the city in the name of God, whereas he didn't send them. The killings and wickedness that will culminate in an European culture that has raped the whole world with lies and wicked doctrine of white supremacy. 21st year of God should not underestimate what is about to happen to the world? Great evil never seen or imagined since the creation of the world before the world. 
Next Sunday, you will know why that is so. But remember, today is just an in-between sermon to prepare us for next Sunday. Praise the Lord. Scripture, please. I read from John chapter 11, verses 30 to 35. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Praise the Lord. This is the second time we see Jesus weeping. Why? He is about to confront physical death, which ought not have been the lot of humanity. But we see, because of sin, death came into the world. And so he's about to confront death. But in weeping, it's not because of what he was about to do. No. He was weeping because he's saying, how is it possible that human beings will reject the free gift that God his Father has so given them? He's weeping because he can see so many going to Christless eternity. He was asking himself, how can they hate themselves so much? To the level that they will believe the lies of Satan and demons. That the human beings will see what is black, they say no, it's white. What is red, they say it's yellow. That human beings will take the words of demons and set them above God and his son. He, he, it's some, he couldn't contain himself. So he wept. Let's go to the next topic. Good seeds and weeds. There's a reason for why many don't believe. And then on this sermon, you determine whether you're a good seed or a weed. Remember, I'm not talking to those who are God's children who have believed. Because if the unbeliever has no, nothing to do here except to repent and come into the saving knowledge of Christ and there determine whether he's he or she is a good seed or a bad seed. Scripture, please. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Praise the Lord. I'm sure most of you listening know this parable. But we're going to listen to the explanation before I make a comment. Next scripture, please. 
Matthew chapter 13, verses 36 to 43. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Praise the Lord. Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field, the disciples asked. And the Lord said in verse 37, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. 38, the field is the world. The total world encompassing believers and non-believers. The good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. These are those who hear God's word and keep them. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. You see, we already know those who have not believed are in the devil's camp, period. But in this case, I'm believing that these weeds are the sons of the evil one and those who pretended to have heard but have polluted a message. Because I've often wondered why God cannot strike out many of these wicked men and men of the belly who are deceiving so many millions. It occurs to me these are the sons of the evil one. These are the daughters of the evil one. He's not going to remove them. You see, they're using his name because the enemy has planted them as spies, as saboteurs, as those to destroy, if possible, those who have believed. So many of the so-called geos and pastors who preach false gospel are the sons and daughters of evil ones. You better believe it. Go to your closet and pray and God will reveal these things to you. So don't tell me that, oh, I, I know this. Each year in many countries they prophesy. Each year these so-called prophecies are so failed. Sometimes some of them have joined political groups and anointed their presidents. When he fails, they begin to tell you to do something else. And you are telling me that they are children of God. No, they are the children of everyone. Their business is to cause confusion. And they are causing confusion. But God has raised a good seeds and they will stand in the gap. They will continue to shout with their last breath. The evil ones are so many. The weeds are so many. So, they will remain. Because I always wonder how come God can just knock them out. Kick them out. But he realized that no. He will allow them because he wants those his children who want the Holy Spirit to be discerning and to draw many away from them. Let us now see the characteristics of the good seeds and the bad seeds. Number three. Good seeds are about God's mission. Why weeds love the world? See, that's the distinguishing matter, period. 
Good seeds are about God's mission while we love the world. We're going to read so many scriptures. I mean, it's not just interpretation. Just listen to them and you determine if you're a good seed or a bad seed, meaning if you're a weed. If you're a weed, you can repent to them and say, Lord, forgive me. I want to be a good seed. It is in your power, in your hands. And if you're an unbeliever, all you have to do is repent and say, Lord, I come to the cross. I accept the finished work of Christ Harvard. And you, God will use you. God will reveal many things to you. He is calling many of us today into this truth. Let me start by saying this. Weeds love the world and the things in the world. See, let us be honest about it. Weeds love merrymaking. They love things in the world. Weeds are friends with the world. <laughs> Weeds love money. <laughs> Weeds love to be worshipped. Their ego is as high as the mountains. Weeds are very selfish. That's very self-centered. It is all about them and the achievements. They lack compassion. They don't have empathy for anybody but themselves. Because if you have compassion, you will not be preaching tight in the church and collecting from the poor and enriching your lifestyle. I'm going to say it. Those who preach tight are not children of God. If they don't know the scripture, they should go back to the scripture and study it and read the Bible or they go to a seminary and be taught how these things are interpreted. Scripture, please. First John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Praise the Lord. The man or woman that does the will of God will never love the world or anything in the world. He loves God above everything else. Next scripture, please. James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who is cho chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Praise the Lord. Why is he calling them adulterous people? If they had repented, if they had not repented, they would not be adulterous. They're adulterous because they married Christ and then they went back to marry the world. Says, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? You cannot choose God and the world at the same time. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Next scripture, please. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Praise the Lord. You cannot serve both God and money. There are only two masters in this world. God and mammon. God and Satan. Because God, mammon is under the control of Satan. He's a demon, incidentally. A very wonderful, in terms from the kingdom of the darkness, but from kingdom perspective, the most destructive demon ever raised by Satan. And money is his currency. And so many have run after it. And continue to run after it. I'm not talking about unbeliever. I'm talking about those who say they're children of God. The wheat love money. 
The wits in God's church love money. They love it so much they're ready to mutilate every part of scripture to collect more and more because they have no compassion. Remember, I'm talking to this God. If you have compassion, you speak truth to power. You speak truth to everybody around you. You will speak truth to power. Even if they're killing you, say, this is the truth. You sacrifice for others. Compassion. Let's go, please. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 to 18. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them, and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. Praise the Lord. Please, my brothers and sisters, if you find that you have any of the characteristics of the weeds, this is the time the Lord is saying today in verse 17, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. So says the Almighty God to you today. Who will you take? May the Lord guide and help you as you make that decision. Scripture, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 to 9. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Praise the Lord. The things God has prepared for those who love him. Unbelievable. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, because so long as we're in this body, the human mind can never conceive the things God has prepared for those who love him. No earthly words can ever describe God's glory, which is what we'll inherit as we're in eternal life. We will be there being glorified together with the Lord Jesus Christ. No words can describe eternal life. No human words. So we're going, well, nobody should try. And we will not even try here. In concluding this segment, the point to make is this. All the glamour of the world, all the weight of the world can never compare to eternal life. Never. All the glory of the world, all the things from the day of creation to now, till the time of the end, can never compare to the life of one person, the glory of one person in eternal life. It is impossible. Scripture, please. Psalm 100. And 26, verse 6. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Praise the Lord. The time for the good seeds to weep is now. We have to weep as our Lord wept and weeps still. 
Because in our weeping for the world, not for ourselves, not being sorry for ourselves, no matter our circumstance or situation. But as we weep for our neighbors, as we cry on our knees for nations and countries and tribes and tongues, as we weep for the salvation of so many, praying that God will help, remember that what is waiting for you and I, those who will be remain faithful, is eternal life. That can, nothing on this earth can ever compare with. So here's a question for you and I today. We're going to ask so many questions now. For you and for me. Do you have compassion for your neighbors? Yes. Compassion is not carrying food and giving them. Or giving them money. Compassion is traveling on your knees. Crying each day that God will touch them to repent. Because what is ahead, even if you give them all the world's goods and they fail to inherit eternal life, what is that? Second will be, do your actions and mind reflect one whose hearts are so to promoting the mission of God? Is that the primary reason of our existence when we repented? A mission that cost God his son. Is that our primary focus? Because if it is not, you can't tell me we have compassion. Can we say we have compassion for fallen humanity? If we are busy enjoying with the world. Can we say we have compassion for fallen humanity? When we have great desire for the things in the world. Knowing yet that that world is passing away. Can we say we have compassion for fallen humanity when we are afraid of preaching the gospel for fear of being cut off from the company of our neighbors and friends? Can we say we have compassion for fallen humanity when we are tribalists and racists? Racists, those who discriminate based on skin tone. Tribe, those who discriminate because you don't speak the same language as they or don't have the same cultural upbringing. Can we say that we have compassion for fallen humanity when we belong to political parties that are platforms that oppose God's mission? If you belong to a political party, whatever crimes they commit, you are part of it. And you're not reflecting God's glory among the people, no matter how much you defend it. Can we say we have compassion for fallen humanity when we love to eat from their tables? When we desire to attend their merrymaking activities? Can we say we have compassion for fallen humanity when we know that those friends and neighbors who enjoy their companies will end up in the lake of fire if they don't repent? And yet we're eating from their table, enjoying their lodges. Can we say we have compassion for fallen humanity? If we don't tell those people we are whining and dining, those who are our benefactors and friends, we don't tell them because we are afraid they will cut us off. Many want unbelievers to promote them if they are working or give them contracts if they are in business or do one favor or the other for them. We want their goods and are afraid that if we told them the good news, they will kick us out or stop being our friends and benefactors. So we keep quiet. What type of heart do we have if we have such mindset? And of course, when our worldly friends and benefactors die, 
Knowing that they have such merry making time for this burial ceremonies. We go there and sew uniforms and dance around and weep for the same. Yet you know that that person has gone to a place that is beyond talk. Are you not aware? Am I not aware that there are some people only I can reach, only you can reach with the gospel of Christ? So I want these images to be with us this week. The image of a lake of fire burning those you love or you claim you love, your neighbors, your friends. And all because you kept quiet. And all because I kept quiet. At the same time, I want you to imagine eternal bliss. The glory of God shining everywhere, where there's no moon or sun, where the glory of the Lord is what is light. Where you live eternally in God's presence. Two contrasts. You'll be living there beautifully, and yet your loved ones, those who used to one and dine are somewhere else in a, in a lake of burning fire. When you do that, you will know that it will be difficult to defend yourself before God on the last day, knowing that you failed to warn others. But if you do your due diligence and duty, then you will not blame yourself because you know that you did try. So I want these images to remain with you all week. They are gooses and they are what weeds, and then of course the unbelievers in the world. The weeds are done unless they turn. It doesn't matter what position they hold in any church. God's compassion has no compare. But we can always pray for him to give us a compassionate heart. One that will enable us to love our neighbor truly as ourselves. To pray for them in our closets. To cry to God for their salvation. And to cry for your countries and nations too. Instead of joining anything to do anything. On your knees, even if the devil is anywhere in the seat of power, God can remove them because you cried out of compassion. Stop thinking you can use physical whatever. To, you will not do it. It's not doesn't work. It has never worked throughout eternity. It has never worked. Go to the Bible and check it. They should stop deceiving many of you who are now in the throes of one thing or the other. I don't want to mention countries, but you guys know those who know me know exactly where I'm heading. But we thank God for His word, goodness, and mercy because great is what the faithfulness of God and compassion. His compassion is wonderful and great. So join me as we sing this song. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There's no shadow of turning with thee. None at all. Thou changest not, my Father, my God. Thy compassions, they fail not. It is ongoing compassion for a dying world. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All that I have ever needed. Your hand has provided. All your children listening have ever needed, you have provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto us.
summer and winter, springtime and harvest, rainy season and dry season, sun, moon and stars in their courses above, they join with all nature to witness God's great goodness, his compassion, his faithfulness, his mercy and his love. Great is your faithfulness, my Father, my God. I join with all my brothers and sisters watching today to shout, Great is your faithfulness. For morning by morning, afternoon, night, your mercies we see. All we have needed, your hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto us. Dear God, the compassionate God, God who continues to weep over fallen humanity. We come before you, Lord, to have mercy. Father, I'm praying for those who have known your name and are still being distracted by the things in the world. I'm praying, Lord, my Father, my God, that through the broadcast to the podcast, Lord, the eyes will be opened. So they realize that only in you, only in you, Lord, only in you, Lord, is salvation. That everything else shall pass. Nothing on this earth shall remain. But the glory of the Lord abides and remains forever. Help your children, Lord. These are the ones I'm interceding for this morning. May they not fall from your grace. May they never depart to the world. May they cut off every umbilical cord that needs to be cut so that they will not fall prey to the wise of the weeds that are in many of these organized religions calling themselves churches or church buildings or organizations. Head them above our Lord to stand up, to rise up and contend for the gospel of Christ, to have the courage, Lord, to speak to their neighbors and friends. And as they do, Lord, Father, manifest your grace and your power through them, Lord. Bless them as, Lord, as they walk, they'll discover their calling in life. And when they do, Lord, may you continue to sustain them. May you continue to lead them. May you continue to guide them. May you continue to preserve them. May you continue to protect them and theirs in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray the blood of Jesus Christ over everywhere this broadcast is being heard or will be heard in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Father, I thank you for today for this message. Glory and honor belong to you, O Lord my God. In Jesus' name we pray. Praise the Lord. By His grace, we'll continue our series next Sunday. Actions have consequences. We shall be using two nations, Sodom and Gomorrah, to elucidate the topic. See you guys next Sunday. Pray for us as we pray for you. May God bless and keep you in Jesus' name.